a podcast one production. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. This is Hookline and Sinker's Back to Basics Fishing Series, where there are no silly questions. This is a place where we strip it back, making it easy for you to get down to the water to enjoy the great sport of angling. I'm Luke McCredden, and joining me, Nick Digan and Andrew Hart, hosts of the long-running TV show Hook, Line and Sinker, a fishing show that's always put the fun before the fish. In this episode, we'll look at the black art of tricking a fish with an artificial lure. There's a saying in angling, if you want to catch a fish, use bait. But if you want to go fishing, use a lure. And that's what this episode is all about, giving you the confidence to take the next step, tie on a piece of plastic or metal, and actually catch something other than a snag. Andrew, you guys probably fish with lures much more than bait. Why is that? We do. We love our lures. Uh, whether it's from the southern part of Tassie to the very top of Cape York, the first thing we usually do is go lure fishing. And I'm saying it's because bait fishing, although it works and probably works better than lures, is a tad boring. Boring, A little Andrew. bit boring. You come out and just slammed yep. it as boring. Oh, you right. throw bait out there and then you sit there and you wait for a bite. You're not... Doing anything. Well, you're having a lovely conversation with your partner or yeah. musing over things by yourself. Um, no, it's because people are funny things and they like to take something which is relatively simple and make it much, much more complicated, yeah. <laughs> Drew. That's why we go lure fishing, because we need to complicate things and add layers of palaver and stuff over the top. Well, I like the fact that you're being proactive, that you're actually doing something. You know, you're casting and retrieving, you're always fishing, whereas yeah. with bait, yes. It works and it's where we all should start out. But you're just basically sitting there waiting for the fish to come to you. With lures, yep. you can go and find the fish. Think like a fish potentially. Would that help? Think in that like a fish and then it's fish on. <laughs> the other thing I really like about lures yeah. is it's not a bite. So you know like you've got a bit of bait. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Get a little nibble, 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 yeah. nibble, nibble, bite. Yeah. Uh with lures, yeah. it's not a bite. It's a strike. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. I like that. I've spent a lot of time working on that. <laughs> it's strike. not, a, I'm going to say it again. It's not a bite. Yep. It's a strike. Yes. It is fish on. The rod is almost ripped from your hands. Yes. And it's exciting. Look, it is exciting. There is no doubt about that. And, um, you know, from a, a, a fisherman's perspective, the opportunity to add to your palate yes. um, of fishing things and fishing techniques um, makes lure fishing kind of a, an endlessly evolving sport and a road to go down. You know, I used to work in a television station, Andrew. You may uh, not remember this, but uh, uh, late at night, <laughs> what I would on do such programs. As no, no, the no. Saturday no morning uh, well, I used to do that yeah. as well, but I, in a technical role, Luke and. Um, I would switch the commercials in late at night from midnight through to dawn. So I'd be there switching the commercials in. And sometimes at that time of night, they would play these things called infomercials. They still play them now. (laughs) But back then, there was a thing, a half an hour show. There were no ads in it. It was one big ad. And it was advertising a thing called the flying lure. And for the first time I put this thing to air, I watched it through and I thought, oh, that's very interesting. And then I put it to air the next night and the next night and subsequently for the next three months. By the end of that time, <laughs> I had been um, hypnotised and convinced that I needed the flying lure. <laughs> the flying lure was a box of lures that would take your lure to where the fish were. It could fly under objects and there was no fish that it couldn't catch. And so I bought it, the flying lures. And I still have them, Andrew. You I bought, bought it sober. 
<laughs> I, I bought it sober, but highly in a highly <laughs> suggestible state. Um, and you know, there, I think for everybody, everybody who has a collection of lures, there are some hits and some misses. But that is kind of part of the journey. I guess my first lure memory was many years ago. There's a fish called a brim, yep. and we used to catch brim on bait. Yep. And then there was this, uh, you know, you'd read in the and magazine you, you, articles. You never caught them on lures. No, you, yep. they were they were you couldn't do it. It was like catching a unicorn. You couldn't yep. catch a brim on a lure. Yep. But then some of the magazines started writing about how some guys were tricking brim on lures. Yep. So I was uh, on a family holiday in Sydney. There was a big tackle store there called Harbord Tackle Store, and it was you know back in the day it was the best tackle store in the world. I'd, I I was very excited to be taken there. Yes. And I bought some brim lures. And now they're not the brim lures that we use today. The, the, the one lure that that stood out from the rest was a hot pink and black bibbed lure, quite large, that I thought, good, I will catch a brim on this lure. Yep. And took myself off fishing several months later to my brim spot. Yep. It was using bait, having no success. Tied on this lure, first cast, bang. Rod wow. nearly ripped out of my hand. It wasn't a bite, it was a strike. <laughs> And, uh, look, I couldn't believe my eyes when I landed a brim on a lure. And from that day, I was uh, hooked with using lures, with tricking fish to eat something that's artificial. Mm, The funny part about that is I think I've been tricked into lures just as much as the fish have. (laughs) Mm. And um, I think my wife will vouch for that. Mm. My shed's full of lures. Mm. And I love them. I am a sucker for lures. And so that level, absolutely are really get involved in collecting lures. But I also do love using lures. My first memory, Andrew, was throwing metal slugs, which are basically yep. just pieces of metal with a treble on the end of them, for salmon. Mm. So spinning, so casting out and then winding back in as fast as you possibly can. There was not much in terms of colour or beauty about these things. They were literally just a piece of metal with a hook on the end. But that was my introduction to lure fishing. So people have been fishing with bait for a while that haven't necessarily tried lures in any format I guess the question is why would they then try out lure fishing? It's a very good question, Luke. It's a very good question because you're essentially taking something that's pretty simple and works pretty well and and adding a layer of complication. Mm. I guess it's like anything, you know, lure fishing is a little bit more proactive, Andrew. It's um, you are working your lure, you are trying to trick the fish. You are, yes. Um, You're trying to get the fish to eat your lure thinking that it's natural food. Yes. There's a saying in trout fishing where we match the hatch because in trout fishing we use flies and flies hatch. So, yep. you know, if, the, if, if there's a hatch of mayfly, for example, we want to tie a fly on that looks like a mayfly yep. and we trick the fish that way. And lure fishing is quite similar. If the fish are eating baby mullets in the shallows, we can put a lure on that looks like a baby mullet. If you are fishing in the tropics on the flats, chasing Indo-Pacific permit, Andrew, who are browsing the bottom for crabs, you might tie on a soft plastic crab and throw that out there and be very, very thrilled when one of them mistakes it for a real crab. So we're matching the hat. Yes, they certainly work. It's interesting, Luke. um, I've looked into the history of lures and this is a journey back in time, Andrew. Isn't it? um, A lure, if you think about it, is a lie told to a fish by a fisherman. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the early examples, the Chinese and the Egyptians um, were, were um, early adopters in the lure space, you know, well, around about century. 2000 BC, okay. so 4,000 <laughs> years ago. Quite a while ago, ago wasn't it? 
Yeah, and, and typically they were using um, the combination of bone and bronze. So bone oh, for the like um, for the lure body, bronze for the hook. Oh, right. Bronze. Bone for the body. Bones for the body. Yeah, bone, a bone, yeah. uh, with a bronze hook. Yeah. Fish uh, were pretty dumb back in those days. Oh, no. There were a lot more of them around, <laughs> Andrew. You could walk on them back then. <laughs> but then, um, you know, as is often the way, the Nordic countries, the Scandinavians got hold of this, the Vikings, et cetera, et cetera, and they've sort of uh, uh, improved it. They had yep. metal spinning lures, spoon lures from copper. Then, as is almost always the case, the Poms and the Yanks picked it up and we were seeing tin minnows from the late 1700s tin minnows that people were tossing around in the rivers and streams of the UK and the US. And even um, sort of in the early 1800s, Andrew, they were doing painted rubber imitations of grubs and worms and things like that. So, so the soft first plastics, of the soft plastics. Wow. 200 years old. Wow. You think something's new. You think some, you're on to a new trend. You do. Only to discover that it's two centuries old. Um, but so it would mankind be, yep. has always liked lures to make fishing more complicated. That's what you're saying. Well, They've it is interesting why they would bother, why <laughs> yeah. the Egyptians would bother faffing around with a bone and a bronze hook rather than using a piece of bait because I guess in some circumstances a lure is a more effective tool than a bait. <gasps> Maybe. Yeah. But uh, interesting. There has been, I think it's fair to say though, Luke, an explosion. Absolute explosion. It, it, take us into the tackle store and talk me through the yeah, lure selection well, there. Well, the evolution of lures, as you say, has meant the expansion, the explosion of ranges of colours, of styles, of sizes. If we go back to episode one where we went into the tackle store to get a rod and reel, one thing you'll notice is the mass of lures across all the walls, all the shelves in in tackle stores these days. There's no shortage. Absolute mind-blowing at times. So it can be daunting and intimidating, but it should be a fun process, Nick. It should be a fun process going through and picking out the colours you like and finding out what might work. I think my idea with lure selection, particularly mm. early on, yep. is apart from getting some advice from the locals, from the tackle store people, yep. is choosing a lure and a colour that you're confident with. Confidence is a massive part of lure fishing. If you, like Andrew, caught a brim on that lure for the first cast, then that lure in your mind mm. will always catch fish and you'll be very confident every time you tie it on mm. and you'll fish with purpose because you know the lure, you know that part of the, the equation is right. You're happy with that. So lure fishing is all about confidence but I, I guess it, it's about establishing a pattern of confidence and yes. to establish that pattern, first you must tie on your first lure and that comes down to making a choice. Yes, it does. And one of the choices, one of the situations you'll find yourself in is looking at the price tags on lures. Did you know, Nick, some lures... Mm. are in excess of $150 for a lure. It's quite intimidating to see that, Andrew, particularly knowing you're about to cast that out and potentially lose it. Yes, and the fishing industry make fads. So, you know, some lures are in fashion and others are not. So at the Mm. moment for cod fishing, Murray cod fishing, giant lures that go across the top of the surface that look like a baby bird or a duck or a frog or something are Mm. in fashion and they are $150. But you don't need to worry about that because I think for the most part, most soft plastics that you'll need, you can look at between $10 and $20 for a packet and that'll see you through. Same goes for, I would say, squid jigs, 
trout lures, the hard body lures, the bib lures that you've spoken about, Andrew, and also metal casting lures. I don't think you need to be worrying about the hundred plus dollar price. No, no. I think no. for the purposes of this exercise, we'll keep it in the sub twenty buck we range. We did once take this to one we really today did. because yep. we were uh, so amazed by the price of lures yep. that we thought, why don't we make our own lures, like the Egyptians or the Chinese, <laughs> similar back to in the, uh, back in the two thousand BCs. Yes, uh, it was a very successful program for yep. us. First lure I created yep. was a spoon lure, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. made of metal. Made, well, of, made a of spoons. Spoon. Andrew made of went, a spoon. He went into the um, the kitchenette of the TV station where we worked and yeah. stole all the teaspoons, yeah. cut the handles off them. Yep, and then you put a hole in one end and a hole in the other end. You put your fishing line in one of those holes and a hook on the other hole. You cast it out and the action of that spoon caught me a trout. Yes, it did work. Then we, we turned our attention to game fishing lures, which, again, very, very expensive. Expect to pay $60 plus for yep. a game fishing lure. What I did was saw the terminal off one end of a 12-volt battery to give me a nice little piece of lead, and then I spoke sweetly to my dog Mm. at the time, which was a border collie-type dog, which had lovely long tail sort of hair, and I caught him and pinned him down and got the scissors and Mm. cut some hair off his tail and uh, drilled a hole in in the battery terminal and glued some dog hair around the outside, threaded my line through, put a hook on the end and trolled it around and caught a very, very substantial fish a southern bluefin tuna on that lure in pretty quick time, Andrew. Mm. So it just goes to prove, dogs, yep. that fish will eat lures that oh, yeah. are not necessarily yeah, yeah. $100. Yes. Mm. Probably um, goes back to my confidence point. You were confident yes. with the tuna lure, with dog hair. The tuna slayer with dog was its official <laughs> name. Um, look, confident would be too strong a word, but I think if you drag it through enough fish, one will make a mistake and eat it, and I guess that's what we're talking about with all lures to some extent. Okay. You're, you're, you're hoping that the fish makes a mistake. Let's pick three lures. All right. Three lures that we'll need. So um, we're in the tackle shop. We are yep. faced with a tsunami, a literal tsunami of colour and movement and style of lures. Let's pick three. Let's pick three. The first, you know, I'm saying a very common lure. Yep. You touched on it before, Luke, mm. is the metal slice. The metal slice. Um, it's a lure that I grew up, like you, Luke, cut my teeth on the old Halco metal slice. It is a piece of metal, you know, they range from, say, 10 grams to 100 grams, basically. Um, what's a good size? A good size is probably 20 grams. Let's yep. say a 20 gram <laughs> That'll metal. That'll be perfect for the rod that you've bought from episode one. Yes. Yep. Uh, you'll be able to cast with accuracy and distance a 20 gram lure. If you buy a 65 gram one of these, your rod won't enjoy casting it. It will be very heavy for your rod. So a 20-gram metal slice lure. Now, this lure is pretty easy to fish. Basically, what you do is you get it, you tie it onto the end of your line with no no loops, no nothings, just tied to the end of your line, and you piff it out as far as you can, um, hopefully in the direction of some fish activity, and then you wind it back in. Sometimes, you know, you might uh, cast it out and count to five and let it drop down the water column a little bit so it gets a little bit deeper and then you wind it back in. Sometimes you might just rip it across the top. The fish we're kind of talking about here, I guess, are Australian salmon. They're tailor, they're 
Cooter, they're what? What are they? They're yeah, around, little tuna, little yeah. um, up north Trevally. I guess um, those fast pikey looking things and all sorts of those yeah. pelagic fish, fish, fast that, fish that, that eat other fish that that eat mm. other fish. Because this lure is designed to represent a fleeing bait fish. Bait basically, fish, yes. it's shiny, it's flashy. It's not a particularly um, faithful representation of a fleeing bait fish, but it is designed to get probably what we would call in the business a reaction strike. Yes, Nick, um, yes. And that is where the thing whizzes past a fish. He goes, oh, that looks interesting. That's not something um, that's meant to be here. I'm going to eat that. And he will chase it down and bite it and eat it. And, um, eat it. and he hasn't got a lot of time to think about it. No. That's sort of your reaction bite. So speed kills. So you can wind those things as fast as you want, really. Sometimes the faster the better. And the fish will just grab it and not know what hit them. The things to be wary of with this kind of lure, if you cast it out and let it sink to the bottom, it does have a treble hook usually on the back of it. So if it finds the bottom, it is very snaggy and it will probably get snagged up. So bear that in mind. Try and keep it up out of the bottom, but fizz it out. Uh, and if you ever see, you know, if you ever see fish on the surface boiling or bubbling or anything like yes. that, it is time to get out your metal slice and pitch it at those fish. And these things cast really well, so you can get some really Absolutely. good distance. Often too, just on that fish bubbling on the surface, yep. there'll, there'll be birds almost every time. Yep. There'll be birds flying above them. Yeah, so even if you, the if you don't see the fish bubbling on the water, but you do see the birds yep. in a bit of concentrated area with some activity, that is always worth chucking a metal slice lure out there. So buy three. You're listening to Hook, Line and Sinker, Back to Basics Fishing Series. If you're enjoying the series, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Just hit five stars and tell us what you like about the series and why. You can get in touch with us and say day on our Facebook page, Hook, Line and Sinker, Australian Fishing Show. Luke, the other thing I think you should have in your tackle box if you're fishing around the coast... And I don't think it matters where you are in Australia, is a squid jig. No, I think it's Australia-wide. Yep. All around the coast of Australia, squid in some form. There's slightly variations of species, but they're, yep. they're, they're all going to eat a squid jig. Squid jig, uh, to put it sim- simply, is exclusively designed for squid. Yes. And it is an imitation again, but this time more of, a, I guess, a, a cross between a shrimp and a bait fish as well. Yep. So. A whole different design, this one. So there's no trebles or single hooks hanging off. It is simply a, a body, a colourful body yep. on a barbed prong, Nick. Is that yes, yes. So a, a, a range of prongs at the, yeah. at the back of it. Yeah. And it's then, an odd-looking thing. Yeah, and the, the, the idea behind the prongs being at the back of it is all about how the squid will eat it and yep. attack it, which is basically coming up behind it, grabbing it, and then shooting off Seemingly backwards. Yeah, with all do. its tentacles yeah. wrapped around it, so That's the right. the, the, um, the prongs sort of get stuck in those tentacles. It's important to keep pressure on, like we talked about fighting a fish last episode. Correct. When you have a squid on, it's even more important because there is no there are no barbs on those prongs. So if you if you let the pressure off, it'll just fall out. But it, Luke, I think it teaches us a new technique because we're not just throwing the squid no. jig out there and ripping it back. No, we're, not. we're, we're slowing fish down. Mm. Mm. And 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 look, the great thing about this is it is and can be as simple as you want it to be. Mm. I remember growing up as a kid, literally fishing an artificial squid jig under a float and doing nothing. Mm. Yep. But then, as things have progressed, as everything does, there's new hypes around different techniques and ways to do things. But ultimately, the idea with these is to cast them into areas of rubbly, weedy, reefy ground. Let it sink down to an area that you would distinguish as a strike zone, bite yes. area, yes. and 
work it back towards you. Now, you can do this, Andrew, with little hops in your rod, like by lifting your rod up, giving it a little whip every now and then as you're slowly retrieving it, it'll send the jig into a bit of a darting action up and down, causing a bit of a commotion, I suppose, yep, yep. attracting squid. Squid have got magnificent sight in that they will spot it from quite a way away and come uh, to have a look. And they're not too frightened of a boat either if you are in a boat or a jetty they will come up quite often to your feet yes. to attack a squid jig so the squid are voracious they're mean if oh yeah you're, if you're a little person and in the water and a big squid came on <laughs> they're baby eaters they're baby eaters yep, yeah they can right. be yep. now the, the one thing that can be i suppose a bit confusing is these are the sort of lure there is Thousands of colours of on a wall. Thousands. And there are ideas around different foil colours and patterns meaning different things yep. to squid and what they can see. Yep. But I am saying for the sake of getting into it, yep. choose some colours you like. Get three. Get three. Okay, give us three colours. I'm always a big fan of a dark, deep red colour. Okay, so Andrew? a red colour. I'm going to go with uh, what I would call a neutral, natural colour, which would be the colour of a weed whiting, which is brownie, green. Brownie, green. You know, awful colour. You wouldn't paint yeah. a house with it. Yeah. It's just yeah. a, a natural colour. I'm a massive traditionalist, and so I'm going to recommend the redhead white body. Yes. The, the, the gold standard of squid nice. jigs. The, the other thing you'll notice with these on the wall is they're typically three or four main sizes that you'll see, and, yep. they're, and they're indicated in 1.8, 2.5, 3.0, and 3.5. Now, this isn't a weight indication. It's, it's, it's about the length of the jig. Typically, though, as the length of the jig increases, they do get slightly heavier. So I guess the method there would be fishing shallow water with less current, yep. fish smaller jigs. Yep. Uh, as you fish a little bit deeper in deeper water with a bit more of flow underneath, fish the bigger jigs. Okay. Yep. I'm going to go for the second size. Yeah, I think the second size is a good one. Yep. Three of those, thanks, mate, in yep. those colours. I'm not going to buy the very expensive Japanese ones. I'm going to yep. buy the middle-of-the-road ones for maybe... 12 to $18 a jig. Yes, I think that's right. They're still getting up there where they at, up, don't they? They're 60 bucks worth of squid jigs. But the enjoyment that squid fishing brings, Nick, it's what it's all about. Well, it's one of those great things. You can do it at night, you can do it in a city, you can do it, you know, if there's a little bit of a rock wall with a light over it, you're in the game, you know. Anywhere, if you're walking around during the day and you see stains on the ground, dark Mm. stains on the ground, that's by and large often squid ink mm. where someone prior to you has been there fishing at night and caught a squid and squid obviously when they get caught squirt out their squid ink on the ground. So if you, if you see squid ink, Luke, you are in the game. You're in a spot where people catch squid. Correct. So we've got uh, metal slices, yep. our squid jigs. Yep. Now we're going to skip a whole range of lures here, which, of lures. Is, which is your bibbed lure. So they're often made out of timber, yep. uh, or traditionally they're made out of timber. So they float, yep. but then they've got a little bib on, the, on their nose. And so when you start winding, the bib digs into the water, giving the lure action, and, and it swims back. Now, if we're fishing in fresh water, these are the most popular lures. We would have okay. some of those. We, we would have... We would, we would uh, substitute out the squid jig because yep. they don't live in fresh water. Probably and the metal slice. And the metal well. slice and we would get some bib lures and we'd ask for some advice. Yep. The way to fish those, the simplest way is like the metal slice, throw it out and wind it back in. Both. Throw it out across the river, wind it back in a bit slower. Okay? Yep. A bit slower. Maybe add a pause here and there if you like, you know, dress it up. You can if you want. Now I'm going to blow your mind though. Oh. Okay, yeah. now we're going to get yep. crazy technical. 
Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Soft plastic lures. Mm. You just told us, dogs, that they've been around for 200 years. 200 years plus. The research that I did sort of states that around about the 60s, they became very, very popular in America for bass fishing. Right. They were little grubs and little worms made out of plastic, basically. You can make the plastic as soft or as hard as you like by putting different resins and whatever else. Okay. In People actually make their own soft plastic laws. They didn't really take off here in Australia until what I'm saying, maybe the late nineties. Yeah, I reckon. When you're right. it was Starlo and Bushy who yep. were on Rex Hunt. Yep. They did a deal with maybe Shimano and and brought out a range of purpose built Australian soft plastic lures called Squidgies. Yep. Squidgies went gangbusters. They really did. Because not only were they a new craze, they caught pretty much everything. So up until that point, you couldn't really get decent soft plastics here. You know, you could get sort of toy ones from the States. But but these guys created lures that would catch everything from flathead to tuna to kingfish to literally everything. You could you could become uh, just an exclusive soft yep. plastics fisherman yep. and catch all of the fish yep. in the sea. Yep. I've caught a flounder on a soft plastic. They will catch absolutely everything. I've caught a squid on a soft plastic. Yep, squid, love them. There are there are, there literally are soft plastics for everything. So we've we've got our three thousand size reel, our ten pound line, and our seven foot rod. Yep. We're not going to want to go too big. We're going to want to get a soft plastic that's maybe I don't know. What are you saying? Three inches, three okay. inches long. Yeah. Yep. yep. Using inches. Yep. 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 Inches, pounds, kilos. Yep. Centimeters. Yep. Um, <laughs> so not a too big a soft plastic. But the the trouble is the confusing part with soft plastics is they don't generally come with hooks attached. No. Which makes them less effective as a fish catching device, doesn't it? <laughs> Massively so. Okay, so, so what we need—they're uh, a kind of a two-part deal. Not always. They are a two-part deal. They don't miss you. No. Okay, so yes, a packet of soft plastics costs ten bucks, Luke, mm. and you might get six in a packet. But then we need to add a hook and we need to add some weight because the soft plastic doesn't weigh very much, so we can't really cast it. So we add what's called a jig head. People are getting a headache now, aren't they? Yes, they this are. Is, uh, they shouldn't is... be scared. They should have a go at this. A jig head is just a little bit of lead on a hook and then we, we thread the soft plastic onto the jig head. Yep. Hey, presto, we've got a lure. Yep. Okay, we tie the jig head onto our fishing line. We cast it out. The simplest way is once again just a straight retrieve. Cast it out, wind it in. Cast it out, wind it in. It'll catch your salmon, it'll catch your trevally with a fast, fast retrieve. Um, if we've threaded it on, on right, yep. the lure won't spin. So we need to make sure that we've threaded it on basically straight down the, the middle of the lure. So the hook comes out the centre of the lure. Yep. 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 And so if we if we thread it on wrong and it, it spins around, it won't catch a fish. It okay. won't catch a thing. So and you can you can kind of look at it yep. and think, yeah, no, it'll work. Yeah. But you know deep in your in your heart of hearts, <laughs> yep. it's not right. No. And it won't work. So re-thread it on yep. so as there's no spin. So the retrieve, the straight retrieve, no problem, you'll catch your fast fish. Um but then this yeah. is where it gets really um yep. Cool. Yeah. Exciting. Yes, good. Yeah. We can fish that lure a hundred different ways. We can fish that lure right the way through the water column, right down to, let's say our straight fast retrieve is at one end of the scale. Yep. The other end of the scale is throw it out, let it go to the bottom and basically do nothing. Yep. The do nothing technique. Which That's I've it. found very effective Absolutely. in my soft plastic fishing career. And the do nothing technique is largely as it sounds like mm. you pitch your soft plastic out. Yep. You let it sink to the bottom and then you don't do much. You must wind up 
So get rid of the slack line so you can Once feel again, it. slack is the enemy. Slack is, and for soft plastics, slack is so much the enemy. Yes. But you just wind it in and then if nothing happens, maybe you'll give it a little lift, you mm-hmm. know, 30 seconds later, then you'll wind up with the slack. Yep. Don't do much more. Don't do much. Don't do anything. Keep keep tight, keep tight, keep tight. And a fish will pick it up. Fish will pick it up. Or generally what happens is a fish will hit it as it's falling back down through the water column. Yeah. That's when a soft plastic does most of its damage, gets most of the bites. And that's why it's important to be tight to the lure. You've got to be letting it – it's hard. You've got to be letting it fall as naturally as possible but staying in contact with it. So when a fish grabs it, you sort of feel a little – a little bump or you see your line sort of just mm. just a little twitch and then at that point you've got to strike and set the hook because otherwise, even though the soft plastics feel more like a fish to a fish, yep. they will spit them out. Yes. So, look, it's a whole new brave world but it's one that we should get into uh, and, and take our angling. And there's probably no real way around the fact that you have to go and do it. The, yeah. we, you can talk about techniques and you can l- watch people do it, whatever, but the reality is that you need to go out and fish these things. They are devastatingly effective oh. um, and there's a real chance that you'll catch a fish on one, so don't discount that. If you if you pitch your soft plastic out in an area where you're catching stuff on bait, there is a very real chance that you'll catch something on your soft plastic because they are attractive to fish. Yeah, um, and probably for just starting out too, there are, there are different types of soft plastics, but um, I would get one that has an action made into it, so a yep. tail that wiggles. Yep. So all, all it has to be doing is is moving through the water for the tail, like a grub or something, yep. you know, the, the tail to be wiggling, which which brings the fish on. You can buy soft plastics that don't have a lot of action. Yeah, so when probably, you go to the lure wall, you'll be confronted again yep. with a mind boggling array of yep. choice. So so look for those ones that have a little appendage off the end that would yes. wobble yes. if it was falling through the water of its own accord. And really, just start with the do-nothing technique. Yep. Throw it out, stay in contact with it, bring it back really slow. Slow yeah. it right down. Slow it right and, down. Uh, and look, you might catch a fish. Uh, hopefully you will. If you do and if you get hooked into that, that can take you anywhere, soft plastic fishing. There are a lot of branches and roads to go down with, uh, with soft plastics. Nick, in your mind, yes. the importance of colour. Is a- vastly, vastly and epically overrated, Look, oh, uh, Lures no. are designed no. to catch fishermen by and large. Um, mm. And look, you know, colour, yes, I'm sure it's important. The squid fishing that you do, I think certainly you'll see certain jigs work better at certain times than others. And I think that's largely on the basis of colour. But I think more important than colour is size. I would counsel people to give more thought to size than getting too hung up on colour necessarily. Some days, you know, one colour will work and other colours won't. I mean, the rule of thumb is is use a colour which is similar to the environment. On a dark day, use a dark lure. On a bright day, use a light lure. Well, last time we were fishing in Exmouth for Marlin, we only got a bite on one lure. We got like seven bites on one lure. A hot pink lure. Right. They wouldn't look at anything else. Okay. So I don't know what that means. No, no. <laughs> uh, so there is no takeaway from it. And, and that might that might be um, the reality of colour. Again, yeah. I think it's probably this idea of confidence in the lures that yes, you're running. Absolutely. You know, if you have success, 
uh, at a period of time. You know, people go to the, the lengths of keeping diaries, mm, yes. a fishing diary. I uh, caught a fish was, on a pink lure. I caught a fish on a pink lure. But it yeah. was at this time and it was the sun was shining sort I, of thing. I would suggest if you are fishing with a couple of mates, all use different colours. That's an excellent, excellent idea. And then just copy your mate that's catching the most that's fish. Right. Um, <laughs> but, yes, I think size is more important. And to get the right size, we're going to, again, match the hatch. So we've got to think about what the fish is eating. So we want to match the size of the bait that the fish is eating. So if it's a permit eating crabs, yep. uh, we want to use a crab much the same size as the permit's eating. If it's a barramundi eating mullet, let's throw a mullet pattern soft plastic lure in there, much the same size. Yeah, and if it's a salmon eating a little fleeing little bait fish, whatever yep. they're called, throw a uh, nicely it's, uh, Salmon sized. are a very good example because yep. if they're on bait that is tiny, they won't look... At a big at slice. A, and even a small slice. Look, yeah. Like you need to go right down, right mm. down in size because they're. I think they're just they're switched on to a certain size fish, which could be tiny. Yeah. And uh, and matching that hatch can be difficult, but it's just a good example that they won't even look at a bigger lure. And, and I think as a rule of thumb, go as small as you sort of can, as small as you can get away with. Similarly to the bait on the hook when we're Pretty bait much. fishing. Yep. You yep. Would, you'd rather start small. You yep. will catch big fish on small lures, but you won't catch many fish on big lures. That's fair <laughs> enough, yep. Now, there's one other thing that I want to throw out there. Okay. And that's our fishing line. Yes. Mm. Okay, so at the moment we've got a 3,000 size reel. Yep. Which has caught heaps of fish. Heaps of fish. On the bait. Uh, we've got a seven-foot rod. Perfect. Ideal for most lure fishing situations. I want to swap the line that maybe came with the combo, which is a monofilament fishing line, normal mm. fishing line, yep. to a braid line. Well. What is a braid line, Andrew? Let's start with that. Mm, I'm hoping you know the answer to that, Nick, but it's, you know, it's made out of a material that isn't normal fishing line and it's got no stretch in it. No, that's exactly right. It's sort of a, it's a fibrous type yes. thing. You know, some of them are where it gets its name from. Some of the early ones were braided. They yep. l- seem to be less braided now. Yeah, they outer coating on them. But yep. the point you make about them having less stretch is really important. So they have less stretch and they are much thicker thinner for a given breaking strain. Yes. So your our 10-pound um, mono line might be twice or three times as thick yeah. as our 10-pound braid. So Let's for, go for 15-pound braid. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. So, so we a can spool have, of 15-pound braid. Let's throw that on our reel. Yep. And, and use our lures. Yep. And even our bait, and yep. you will notice a huge difference. Yes, it is It is a nicer thing to use. It yes. is lighter, it cuts through the water, less drag and all that sort of stuff. The one vague downside, Luke, is that braid is very visible to fish. Mm. Mm. What's the answer to that? The answer to that, unfortunately is another layer of complication. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is that we need to now... Add a leader yes. to our yes. fishing outfit, our fishing So we can't just tie a lure or hook straight to the braid because you can. You can do it and I would suggest it cuts fairly substantially your catch rate. Yep. If you tie, you'll see plenty of times people will tie a braid straight to their lure. They yep. do it. It's it's a bit of a Gumby newbie type mistake yep. to so make. So you've heard it here. Yep. Don't do it. Don't do it. 
at a litre. Yep. So now, a litre is a length of monofilament normal line. Normal fishing line. Normal fishing line. You can use some of the stuff that came off your reel. Typically, yep. it will be of a slightly higher breaking strain than your main line. So if, you, if your main line, if we're saying is, is, what is it? It's 15. 15 pound. 15 pound. You might have 20 pound. You, 20 pound litre because it gives you a little bit more abrasion resistance to the fish's teeth or rocks or whatever. But it means we have to learn how to tie a knot. We have to be able to join those two lines. So, Huddy, you spoke, I think, in maybe episode three about the uni knot being uh, the knot we tie when we're tying a hook to our line. The double uni knot is brilliant because it's easy to tie and you can very successfully and reliably join two pieces of line together with a double uni. So we're already familiar with the uni. A double uni is basically just tying two of those. Two of them pulling them down on each other and you've joined your line. Have your leader about, <laughs> uh, you know, a metre? Yep. A metre long? Yep. And then and then tie your lure or your hook or your rig on the end of that. And yep. uh, you will notice... A big difference. Yeah, and look, you know, as we say, you can use either just mono fishing line that you that you got from somewhere. Yeah. If you go to the tackle shop, you'll see another whole wall dedicated to leaders and there's um, mono leaders and there's fluorocarbon leaders yeah. and there's, you know, they have vague uh, different properties but not really enough for us to worry about. I don't think, you know, maybe a less than 5% difference in your catch rate, Luke, I'm I, saying. I think that's a fair call. We've really gone to the next step now, haven't we? We have. We have gone to the next step, but it shouldn't be too scary. I'd recommend people just get out and have a go because there is a lot of benefits in lure fishing, Andrew, and lots of fun to be had. In the next episode, we're going to cover some things that are out of our hands, some factors in fishing that we can't control but we can understand. Make sure you tune into the next episode because even though you're a beginner, what we cover off will make you feel like you're a pro. Hook, Line and Sinker is a Podcast One Australia production. Produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.